Well, good morning, guys. How are we? Everybody good? Good morning. Okay, so I work with kids and students, so I'm going to need you to just give me some feedback. Good morning. How are you? Oh, that was lovely. Well, um, welcome to church. Uh, we are talking through the series of the 40 stories. Um, it's where we see the number 40 in the Bible and the significance of the number 40. And so we're highlighting different stories in the Bible. Um, if you've been here at all, you've seen this, you've heard of these. And today we are going to be talking about the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn them to Exodus 16. If you don't, we'll have it on the screen. There are also people that are here with Bibles that can bring them to you. And so as you are turning there, which shouldn't take much turning because it's at the beginning. But as you're turning there, let's set the stage. So we see that uh, Moses comes to Egypt and says, you know, how many of you have heard this story through Kids Church? Let my people go. Uh, the Lord brings plagues down on Egypt, and the Israelites who are in slavery have been freed. So this is a really big deal. They've been in bondage for years, and now they just walked through the Red Sea. Moses parted the Red Sea with um, God's obviously God's help, and he parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land, and now they are in the wilderness. They are on their journey to the promised land. So that's where we pick up. So verse 1 says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. We're starting really positive, guys. Okay, great. So let's go. So uh, like we said, they just walked through the Red Sea, and this is two and a half months into a journey of 40 years. Two and a half months into 40 years. So not very far into it, and we're already seeing grumbling and complaining and frustration. And I think there was a lot of grumbling about where's my next meal going to come from? There's a lot of uncertainty. I don't understand what the Lord is doing here. We just had this great move, um, great promise, just seeing the Lord's goodness in so many crazy ways, and then we're spit out into the desert, and we don't know what his plan is. We don't understand what's happening. And I think it's really interesting that we see that they are desiring to go back into slavery rather than sit in the uncertainty of the wilderness, right? That seems kind of strange to me. But this isn't new for us, I would say. I think that all of us in here, we have been through a wilderness season, we've been in a harder season, and we don't love the pain and the uncertainty of the wilderness. So today, as we walk through this, we're going to walk through some different things that the wilderness can teach us and what a wilderness season in our life can teach us, along with what the Israelites were learning. Um, and I think we could go a lot of ways. Like This is 40 years of a journey, and we're not going to be able to cover 40 years in the next little bit. But what I want us to really focus on is why was the wilderness necessary? Not necessarily why were they there, how long it took them there, why did it take them this long, why did they go this turn instead of this turn, when this thing. Why was the wilderness necessary? Because we do know from Scripture and our own experience that we will all walk through a wilderness season. If you haven't yet, it is inevitable. You will. We all know this. Some of us right now, we're in some. Some of us have been. We know that this is a, it's a really common thing that's going to happen. We're going to experience pain, right? So how, how do we do it well, and why is it necessary, and why do we have to do it? So the first thing that I think the wilderness teaches us is reliance. So we're going to continue in Exodus 16 at verse 4. So follow along if you can. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, 
I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days um, because of Sabbath. So what we see is when we go longer on into the scripture that God does exactly what he says he's going to do. He brings manna, it collects on the ground like dew. They go out each day and they can collect enough bread for that day. Enough manna for that day. No more, no less. Except before Sabbath, and they would get twice as much. And there's a lot of significance in this. The first thing that's very significant is the very thing they were grumbling and complaining about, the very thing that they were unsure or uncertain of, uh, certain of, and the thing that they were scared of, which is not eating, the Lord provides, right? He meets them in the wilderness, and he provides for them. But even more than that, the Lord provides for them every single day. He doesn't just give enough of himself to where they can have bread for a whole week so they don't have to look back, they don't have to trust, they don't have to go back to the Lord and wonder where their next meal is coming from. He keeps them kind of wandering, which for me is not ideal. I'm not someone who likes to not know where my next anything is coming from. When we go out to eat, I'm looking at the menu three days in advance. Like, that is my personality. And apparently some of yours. And so for me, I'm like, that is just evil. Like, why would you do that? But in, in reality, the Lord is showing that you have to rely on me. You have to depend on me. And dependence isn't a just once a week thing. It's an every single day surrender. And so I think there's something really interesting to note here. Um, they did try to problem solve. So the Israelites, in their mind, they probably weren't going to be able to go back to Egypt and you know that. But in their mind, the only solution that they can even muster up or understand or even grasp that would be a solution to this problem is being back in slavery. Like, there's no other solution. And, and I think this is where I see it's really interesting. We so often will try to problem solve in our own wilderness seasons. Be like, okay, Lord, if I do this thing, if I do this thing, if this goes right, then I could maybe make something work. And it's not that they weren't seeing the larger picture. It was the Lord created a whole new picture, right? He brought literal manna from heaven, which has never been done before, kind of like parting a sea, which had never been done before. And it's this, this thing where we so easily try to rely on our own strength, our own skills, our own mind, and all that does is get us into trouble. And um, there also is another thing. The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. However, this was not a 40-year journey. Most scholars believe this was a matter of a weeks, weeks of a journey, not years. So this is a huge amount of time that they're in the wilderness, which I'm sure was extremely painful. And we could get into why were they in the wilderness and what decisions brought them there and, and why did it take them so long and why did the Lord have them there and all of these different questions. But I think what we should probably focus on a little bit more is what is the purpose of the wilderness? What does it build in you? What does it do for you? See, I think that uh, the Lord just showed, showed here in this season or with the Israelites and also in ours that he uses the wilderness to build something in us. So often we ask the question, how can I get through this? Rather than asking the question, what is God trying to do through me? Or how can I fix this issue, fix my circumstances, rather than what is the Lord actually trying to fix in me? Which brings us to our next thing that uh, I think the Lord teaches in the wilderness, which is the wilderness teaches resilience. So we're going to jump over to Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So I read this scripture, and in all transparency, I don't know if I can say this, uh, 
I'm saying Brian, just making sure. I didn't like it. Um, I really just didn't like it. I was like, what do you mean humble and test? Like, this doesn't sound good. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. So anytime I find myself uncomfortable by scripture, I know that what I need to do is dive in a little bit deeper and study it a little bit more because I'm probably not interpreting it correctly, um, which is very easy to do. So I, as I was looking into this verse and understanding what did the Lord mean by this, um, I looked into the word humble. And the word humble here, the Hebrew word for humble in this uh, verse is actually called anah. Everyone say anah. I know, welcome. We're having a Hebrew lesson. It's great, guys. Pain and a Hebrew lesson. This is church. So, anah has many different meanings. It means to isolate, to break down, adversity. But two of the meanings were extremely interesting to me. And one was to weaken, and one was to exercise, which seemed like counterintuitive. Um, and so, it, it made me think, okay, this leads me to believe that the Lord was breaking down the Israelites, breaking something down in them in order for them to strengthen up and weakening them in order for them to become stronger, which is actually how exercising works. How many of you in here exercise regularly? Build muscle. That's what I say, yeah. Um, and how many of you know that the way to build muscle is when you are lifting weights, which I'm doing a really great job of showing this right now. This is how you lift weights. Uh, when you're lifting weights, you're actually breaking down the current muscle that you have in order for it to grow back larger, more toned, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, an, I'm not an expert, obviously, but I'm just telling you what I've heard about this. And so that's why recovery is so important. That's why people take supplements. That's why it's not just about what you do in the gym, but what is actually you do outside of the gym with eating and with resting and with supplements. So you are building up your muscle. And so I was thinking maybe this means that rather than the wilderness being a test, maybe the wilderness was refining, Maybe the wilderness was rebuilding. And I can only imagine putting myself into the shoes of an Israelite. <clears throat> you are in Egypt. You are in bondage and slavery, and it's all you've ever known. Like, put yourself there for a second in a picture. You're in bondage, you're in slavery, it's all you've ever known. And all of a sudden, you see the tide starting to change. You see this man come who says he was sent from God to rescue his people. You hear that you're God's chosen people. You see the tide starting to change. You see plagues coming down. And all of a sudden, it starts building and building and building. And all of a sudden, you're at this climax of the, the Red Sea parting. And you are watching the Lord deliver you in a way that you never even thought possible for anyone, much less you. I, I think that that would be an insane thing to experience. And then to be spit out in a wilderness and feeling like you're left for dead. So I think we give the Israelites a lot of flack. Like, we really do. We, we say really bad things of, wow, they were grumbling, or they made this idol, and how dare they? They didn't know where their meal was coming from. I don't think I would be much better. To be honest with you, I think I would probably be a little worse. I like to complain, so I, I know I would be worse. You can ask my husband. I'm a great complainer. It's something I'm really good at. But no, I, I can only imagine what it feels like to be on this spiritual high, and then just falls off. In fact, it's happened. I, I'm sure it's happened to some of you in here. You've gone to a camp. You've gone on a spiritual retreat. You've, you've done listening prayer. You've done this, something that builds a spiritual high in you, and you feel like the Lord's revealing things to you. He's speaking to you. You're experiencing him in a new way that you've never experienced before. And then maybe a day, a week, a month, a year later, it just falls off. Maybe something happens. Maybe you walk through a really intense season. Maybe you just feel like you 
aren't hearing from him, maybe you're not experiencing him in the same way, I bet it felt like isolation for them. I bet it felt like emptiness and hunger and hopelessness. And see, I think that's what this Deuteronomy verse is actually showing us, that we have to lean into the pain of the wilderness. We have to lean into the pain of the wilderness for it to strengthen us. We cannot fight the pain, we have to lean into the pain. I told you, this is going to be really fun, so hang with me. When I think of pain, and when I think of leaning into pain, do you know what I think of? Yes, childbirth. Oh my goodness, that was incredible. You read my mind. Childbirth. Everyone just got instantly uncomfortable. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. We're, it's, it's fine. Just hang with me. So when I was first pregnant with Abel, my oldest son, who's about to be three, um, I decided uh, that I wanted to have a natural, unmedicated childbirth. Yeah, I see it. You're laughing. Ha ha. Um, and everyone did that to me. They laughed at me. Like, they literally, they're like, the pain of the first contraction, and you're going to be crying, and blah, blah, blah. And I knew that there are things that I can't control, but as much as I could control, I wanted this, un this natural, unmedicated birth. And if you don't know this about me, I'm a very stubborn person. I, if I say I want to do something, I will try my best and my darndest to do it, even if it almost kills me, which it did. So, <clears throat> but... I uh, remember I said, okay, I want to do this, so what am I going to do? I started researching. I listened to podcasts. I got books. I hired a doula. I went to a midwife. I drove 45 minutes from my house for every single appointment so I could be in a practice where they would great my, greater my chances of me having this childbirth. And I remember as I was studying and learning how do you manage the pain of childbirth, Every single uh, resource said the same thing. You have to lean into the pain of childbirth and work with your body, which I think is a really stupid answer, to be honest, <laughs> because those people have never been through childbirth, and they do not know what that pain feels like. But no, you have to lean into the pain of childbirth. And so it's really easy for me to say this, and then I went into labor. And I will tell you right now, that was a nightmare. Abel, I, I don't remember it. I, I had it unmedicated, but I don't even remember it because it was such a blur. But I remember with Aria, because it was nine and a half months ago, nine and a half months ago. And I remember sitting um, in the labor and delivery room, and I'm 12 hours in at this point, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I thought it was going to go a lot quicker. And I remember getting to a point where everyone left to go take a nap, um, and I was by myself. And I remember in that moment, I said, Lord, you do not see me. I know you do not see me because nothing is happening and I am in great pain. And I was avoiding it. I was pretending like I wasn't in pain. I was trying to make conversation. I was trying to distract myself. I was trying to deny it. I was trying to numb. All of these things. It sounds familiar, right? This is not just childbirth, right? We avoid, we numb, we distract, we deny. I was doing all these things. And I remember sitting and singing, great is thy faithfulness and sobbing which is just, i so glad the Lord can't even give me a clear picture of what that looked like because I looked like a crazy maniac. But I'm just singing, great as I, I don't know if he even heard it, but I'm just singing and sobbing. I was like, Lord, you're faithful, but I just don't feel like you're faithful right now. And um, I said, I'm going to trust you in this. And I said, I'm just going to lean into this pain and see what happens. And an hour later, I was holding the most beautiful baby girl I've ever seen. And that was just the... Uh, the example of God's goodness in the midst of pain, right? This doesn't just happen in childbirth. And I think uh, Brian actually talks about this concept a lot, that in our, especially American culture, I think natural human tendency, but in our American culture, we will do anything to numb pain. 
We will do anything. How many times have you been talking to your friend about something they're walking through and being like, hey, are you okay today? And they're like, yeah, and they just ignore it. And we push it down, and we push it down, we push it down. We get really surprised when pain takes us out because all we do is push pain down. We avoid, we numb. How do we numb? I mean, look, how many of you have a phone on you right now? We numb, we avoid, we have Netflix, we don't talk about it. Like, we can distract ourselves. Some of us, we numb with substances. We do all of these things to avoid the very thing that is inevitable in our life, which is pain. Which is where I think that we go into our next thing that we learn from the wilderness, but the wilderness is where we ultimately see God's goodness. And I'm sure this is really confusing to talk about because up until this moment, all we've talked about is pain, and now we're saying God's goodness. And I think if you were to say this to the Israelites, they would be like, what goodness? You know, I'm starving and unsure of where I am. I don't know what my life looks like. I mean, that would be miserable to be in a wilderness and not know how long you're going to be there, how long anything's going to take. I mean, just think about that for a minute. If I'm taking a 10-minute trip down the road, I need a countdown of when I get there. <laughs> like, if I'm heading, you know, to Walmart and it's taking me a minute longer, I'm freaking out. I am losing my cool. So I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in this wilderness season for so long. But there are a lot of painful wilderness seasons that we walk through, and it's really hard to see God's goodness in the midst of it. For example, if God is good, then why am I walking through infertility and loss? Why would God not just give me a baby? If God was good, why wouldn't he just heal my family member of cancer instead of letting me walk through this miserable path? If God was good, why is my marriage failing? Why can't my husband choose me over his work or his friends or anything else? If God is good, why is my teenager walking through the most difficult and, and soul-crushing season and rebelling against every value we've had as a family for years? A good God would just change your mind, right? And I know I'm saying this, and you're like, no, Emily, that's not true. But how many of us actually believe that? When you're walking in the midst of a painful se season, it's hard to believe that God is good in the midst of it because his goodness doesn't line up with what our definition of goodness looks like. I know this was um, especially true for me. For me, it was, how can a good God let a five-year-old child be abused? How can a good God let that happen? A good God would have kept me safe, right? Or later, a good God would heal me of flashbacks and panic attacks. A good God wouldn't let me walk through depression. A good God wouldn't let me be thinking these thoughts that I'm thinking and wanting to act on things that would harm myself. A good God wouldn't do that. A good God would just save me. And even if I went through it, he would just stop the pain, right? Well, that's wrong. Um, ultimately, that's wrong. I remember for this specific example I'm talking about, I was a senior in college, and I remember my, it was supposed to be the happiest moment of my life. I was engaged. Um, I was about to graduate with a ministry degree, and in so many ways, I was watching the things that I had dreamt of for my whole life unfold in front of me, and they were just so close that I could taste it. But at the same time, I was walking through one of the most difficult seasons I've ever walked through. And I remember going into chapel services and taking a note card and writing down the thing that was holding me in bondage and putting it at the foot of the cross, and the next morning waking up and expecting it to work, and I'm waking up with a panic attack. 
Or I remember I would, you know, go into counseling. I talked with friends. I, I did everything that I could think of to heal myself. Do you hear what I'm saying? Heal myself, right? Finally, I would just numb the pain and pretend like it wasn't there. And as a last-ditch effort, I decided to do this thing called a freedom session, which here we would call this listening prayer. I, I later realized that this is what listening prayer is. And I remember walking into the listening prayer session, um, and I was talking, there were three people there on the prayer team, and you guys are probably familiar, if you've ever been through listening prayer of how this works, you have someone interceding, you have someone guiding um, you through the prayer, and they're prompting you on different things to do. And a lot of people call this inner healing prayer. You're reaching into yourself, you're bringing up past traumas, past hurts, or just different things you're walking through <clears throat> and giving them over to the Lord and asking Him to put His truth in it. And so for me, I walked in, they said, why are you here? And I was like, how much time you got? And so we decided to just walk on this journey together. Um, I mean, I was there for hours, and I remember it took me like 30 minutes to just like unload everything that was going on because I pushed, 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 pushed it down. And um, they said, you know, Emily, I think what would be very helpful for you is if you could walk through the situation that happened to you first when you were a child. There were a lot of other things that happened. That wasn't the only thing, but they're like, for this this session, we think that the most freedom you will experience is if we walk you through that situation. I was like, all right, let's do it. They're like, okay. So in the most non-emotional, non-hurt way, I, I walked them through every single detail, which I'm not going to do because that would be, that we're not going to do that. Um, and I walked them through every single detail and they were like, Emily, thank you so much for trusting us with this. And I was like, I don't care. Yeah. And um, they're like, thank you so much for trusting us with this. We would like for you to walk back through this, but we're going to pray before we do it. And we would like for you to tell us where you see the Lord, where you see Jesus in the situation. And I was like, that is the easiest thing I've ever heard how to do. So great. Let's do it. Walked back through the situation, said the same exact thing. They're like, Emily, we think that you may have missed something. We want you to tell us where Jesus was. And I said, he was not there which they're looking at me as a person who is majoring in ministry, and I've taken multiple theology classes. Like, I know I'm theologically, this is a heretical thing to say. Like, Jesus was obviously there. But for the purpose of my feelings and where I was in my pain, I did not believe that. I said, there is no God that could sit and watch things being taken from a young girl that she will never get back. That is not possible. And they were so patient and so kind with me, and they're like, we just simply think that's not true. I was like, okay. So I started um, opening myself up to the idea, and I was really honestly denying it because I was more angry than anything. Like, I didn't want to admit that God could have been present in something like that. And so we walked back through it, and I just remember I started weeping. And, you know, everyone in the room is, like, leaning in. They're like, okay, she's getting it. She's getting it. What's happening? And they're like, Emily, Emily, tell us. Where do you see him? And I'm just like, like, you know, can't breathe, you know, the type of crying that's happening when you're like barely able to breathe between the crying, you know, and you can't talk. And so they're like, Emily, tell us. And I was like, he was there. He was there. He's there the whole time. He was holding me. And they were like, Emily, that's so great. And I remember the Lord giving me this vision of in the midst of everything happening, his arms swooping in and holding me and protecting me, which I didn't understand. And then it went further. I I remember them looking at me, I was still weeping, and I said, there are tears falling down my face, which I was a five-year-old, like, how could I have, I didn't know what was happening, there were 
I wasn't crying. Like, that wasn't actually what happened. And I just remember getting this beautiful vision of the Lord's tears falling over me and hitting my cheeks. I just said my mic. And hitting my cheeks and falling down. And it was in that moment that I realized not only was he there, but he was grieving. He was so sad. He was holding me and grieving over me when he was watching his daughter walk through that. And if you're a parent in here, you know there is no greater pain than watching your child in pain. How much more do you think the Lord feels? And for me, the cool thing about this, which I'm just nerding out, and I don't, I don't think I've talked about this really ever, but the cool thing about this is I remember as a child, I was a high discernment child, and I would go through anxiety, and I would go through what I have now realized was spiritual warfare, and I would curl up behind my back and get to a wall and sit down, and I would hold myself, and I remember asking Jesus to hold me. And I remember physically feeling arms holding me. This is not new, guys. This is something that he does for every single one of us. It was a beautiful vision. It changed it. It changed everything for me. It completely wrecked my world. Because up until this point, that I thought the purpose of my pain was so I could overcome it. I could go into ministry. I could tell young women and men that if this has happened to you, the Lord can restore you and he can renew you. And that is not the point of it. That was not the point. That's a great bystander. That's a great result of something else that happens. But the purpose of that pain was an intimacy with him that I could never explain. I have no words. I have literally no words to explain to you what it felt like. The intimacy that was grown between me and the Lord in those moments after I opened myself up to his heart and allowing him to hold me. The dependence, the coming to him for every need, that in any moment when something felt off, I felt like I had this access to this comfort that I cannot explain at all. And I still have that access to that. I don't think that the purpose of my pain was for other people. I think the purpose of the pain was for the Lord to grow something in me that never would have grown without it. And so I think that we have to lean into our pain. (laughs) I think there's something so beautiful about a wilderness season. It's incredibly hard, but it's incredibly necessary. And in a room like this, there's a lot of us walking in different seasons. Some of us are in here, and we may be in a wilderness, and we're trying to fight our way out of it, and you cannot fight your way with your strength out of wilderness season. Some of us in here are trying to deny that we're in the middle of a wilderness season, and you can't do that either. It doesn't work. Newsflash. Um, It doesn't. You can't avoid it, and you can't push it down. You can for a moment, but it's only going to prolong it until you decide that you're going to open yourself up to the access of the Lord's strength and power and dependence and comfort. You're going to be spiraling in the same way. And I actually really struggled with this message a lot, um, especially yesterday, because I said, I have no good point. Like, I have nothing to tell you of how to get through this season. I, I was talking to Kyle about it, and I was like, I, I have no solve. There is no solve. The only solve is Jesus. I have no cool point, no answer of how, I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what surrender looks like for you. I don't know what turning over your pain looks like for you. And maybe it looks like listening prayer. Maybe it looks like different. I have no clue. That is so between you and the Lord. But I do know that you can take a next step towards it. And I do know that when the Lord wants you to do something, he is not quiet about it. And so I guess my question is, will you just let the Lord hold you? 
Um, it's funny, we, um, this is the last thing I'll say, I, I, my, my son Abel is about to turn three, <clears throat> and for any of you that have three teenagers in here, you do know that they do not like to be held, <laughs> like they don't want, he, he's never been like that, he is the most independent child I've ever met, I adore him, I love him with everything inside of me, but he's the most independent and wild child I've ever met, in fact, you probably saw him this morning, I think he tried to run out on the road, like I don't know. He's, if you see a little blonde kid running around this campus in circles, it's my kid. And if you ask him to help, if you can help him, he'll tell you no, which is also my kid. And so Abel has recently gotten into this thing where just in these little glimpses, he'll look at me and Caleb and he'll just go, can mommy hold you? Mommy hold you? And I will tell you that there is no deeper joy that I feel and no deeper privilege than I feel when I get to just hold my son and that is it. There's no, nothing he needs from me. He doesn't need me to make him a sandwich. He doesn't need me to go turn on the TV or turn, turn on his sound machine. He doesn't need me to walk him in his room. He just wants me to hold him just so he can be there. And I think that there are a lot of us today that we are trying to fight our way out of something that we just need to be held in. And I think that we rob the Lord of the joy of holding us when we do that. But you also rob yourself of the comfort and the intimacy you can feel. And so I guess, like, my challenge, which I didn't think I had one, but if I'm saying I had one, it would be, why don't you just let the Lord hold you for a little bit? Why don't you ask him to give you a picture? Ask him to reveal something to you and just show him, or to show you, that he wants to do that. Like I said, for every person in here, there's different action steps. I don't know what yours is, and maybe it's nothing. I don't know. Like, maybe this wasn't for you, and that's great. But what I do think is um, we can make, take the next step in obedience all the time with the Lord. We always have a next step in obedience. And so today we're going to uh, open up communion right here on these side tables, and um, we're just going to spend some moments in the presence of the Lord for no other reason than to just spend moments in the presence of the Lord. And so I just want to challenge you, what would it look like for you to actually access that comfort and feel held today? I don't know if that means you need to come up here. For me, I came to the worship night on Thursday, and I hid in the back corner, and I sobbed, which I just needed to do, and just had the Lord hold me while I sat in a corner where no one could see me. I don't know what it looks like for you, and I don't know what you need to do, but this time is yours, um, and this time is yours to just be with the Lord and walk in your pain. And so I'm going to pray for us. Um, God, I thank you today for the way that you hold us. Lord, I, I thank you that you let us walk through adversity. I thank you that you let us feel isolated, and I, I thank you that you love us enough to let us walk through pain to bring us closer to you. And so, God, I pray over each and every one of us here where we're fighting, where we're numbing, where we're avoiding, no matter what we're doing, Lord, would you just help us to stop it and just let us be held? God, would you let us in here no matter how strong we may feel, just weaken ourselves before you so you can build us back up. God, we're so thankful. We love you so much. And the fact that you love us as much as you do just blows my mind every day. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.